0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Mellow Compass podcast the podcast that aims to educate listeners on the variety of opportunities available in the music industry by really getting beneath what job titles actually mean. Today's guest is A&R powerhouse, Ree Sewell. In this conversation, we meander through her journey in A&R, as well as discussing opportunities Ree has had with the likes of Power Up, which led to taking on a Music Business Management Masters at Westminster University, all whilst working full-time in A&R at some very well-known labels. Ree, welcome to the Mellow Compass podcast. This one has been a long time in the making. I think the first time we spoke was in early 2021?
2: I think maybe early 2020, you know. Was it 2021? 2020? One of the two.
1: Yeah, it was a long time ago. I just remember we talked for like an hour and a half about all things music industry in the pandemic when everything else was kicking off as well so it's incredible to be speaking to you now when so much has happened since then yes
2: yeah it's been it's been it's
1: been a year it's been it's been a
2: couple of years it has
1: (laughs) (laughs) it has indeed Um, so you know looking at your career path um there are a couple of common threads that I've picked up through the roles that you've had and that is one working with talent and to supporting music creators and professionals to be heard and break into what is seen as quite a tricky industry to to get into for many different reasons. So for you what was that moment that you thought music is what I have to do? Well
2: um, my career started with me doing like youth work and supporting young people and then When I was managing multiple services for Centerpoint, maybe like seven years ago, yeah, about seven years ago, I was really enjoying the youth programmes that I'd be putting on and keeping the young people engaged. And, like, the ways I would do that would be with, like, sessions around sexual health, mental health, um, and have, like, external people from certain foundations come in, people that would speak to, like a lot of my young people that are part of the LGBTQ plus community and a lot of the things part of a lot of their sessions to make them more interactive were based around like music and like talking and, you know, just like the personable type of things. And that's when I connected a bit more with the young people that were living at my services. So through like music through cooking, through, you know, whatever they had going on, like, in their lives, which ended up being, uh, I guess, an amalgamation of that, like, music, social stuff, I thought, yeah, this is something that aligns with me, like, I love music, I like, I'm very social, I like going out, I love gigs, why not, you know, do a bit more stuff to do with that, and that's kind of when um, I saw the Capital Extra Music Potential program, but even prior to that, I actually did community radio, between Represent and Pulse 88 and the beat as well, because I just loved, one, the sound of my own voice. (laughs) And (laughs) I loved music, to be honest. Um, So it was just like nice people hearing me and hearing about what I like to do. And I had like a blog, um, on Instagram and a website called The Re-Up. Um, my name obviously being Re, I thought it was kind of a cool spin on like me giving you a daily or weekly dose of music and i like update it regularly, blog about the music events that I've gone to, artists that I think people should look out for. It's actually still live. It's a Wix site, so it's actually still live, but I have not updated it in forever and a day. But if you see, this is like 2016 to like 2018, 2019 so if you see some of the people that I have on these lists and stuff you'll be like oh my gosh no way that person's charted since then so then I thought like okay I do not know what it was called that I'd be doing but I just knew that I really enjoyed being the first person to know about certain artists or not necessarily the first person in the world but the first person to really want to speak about this artist before the major bigger blogs got to it so like before your complex before your clash before your like billboard and fader and everything. I wanted to be like the first to speak about them, but only ones that I genuinely were like, I would put this person in my playlist. I was very selective. I didn't care about who was necessarily popular at the time. I was very uncompromising when it came to that. Like if I did not like it, it was not on my page. No artist could approach me, invite me to their show and expect a feature on the page if I didn't like it. And that wasn't me being ignorant. It's just I wouldn't have been true to my blog. The people that would look at my blog and or um, ask me about artists that I'm interested in if I didn't stay true to what I genuinely enjoyed seeing. That's like when I discovered artists like Jords as well. He's another South London native. So yeah, I love that. We both have a Jamaican background too. So we have like a lot of relatables on on the basic level, but his music and his art and the way he expresses himself, him being a producer, artist, and like an incredible um, engineer. He just knows, and he can sing too. It's like, yeah, he's like an amazing rapper, like proper solid lyricist, like still to this day, one of my favorite artists like ever. So, um, yeah, he was one of the, he's, like, a key person, I think. I just always remember, like, when I first discovered him, how I felt about his music and just how I still feel about his music that he makes to this day because a lot of artists go up and down, like, some albums are amazing and then their second one comes and it's like, oh. Like, he's been consistently good from EPs, singles to album stage. So, yeah, it's amazing.
1: Through all of that, Through the discovery of, you know, having your own blog, looking out for artists that you personally thought were on the way up and were really, really awesome. Were you aware that that was actually an opportunity that you could have working in the music industry?
2: I had no idea. And do you know what? Unintentionally, I didn't actually necessarily want to work in the music industry. I didn't start a blog because I wanted to work in the music industry, I actually started it for fun. And I think that ends up being the best part of it, like when it's for fun. So um, yeah, I was just doing it for vibes. Like I said, I I personally enjoyed going to gigs. It kind of took the edge off of my day job because I was a youth worker that comes with a lot of, you know, I wouldn't say necessarily pressure, but it comes with a lot of responsibility. And you just need to constantly there for a large group of people so I had like eight young people in one service and I had six in the other so 14 young people all complex needs from ranging from mental health to like uh, substance misuse to like childhood trauma and things like that like some leaving care so LAC looked after children like loads of loads of different complex issues so yeah like that going to music stuff took the edge off that it was like okay I can switch off from work and enjoy this masterpiece that this artist is about to bless me with their art.
1: That is such a beautiful way of putting it so actually that you know that does feed in quite nicely to the whole combination of what you were doing on the youth side of things with them mixing your passion your very clear passion with working with aspiring young people who want to be working in the music industry and so that clearly links into this capital extra potential program yes so um, how did that come about how did I see that
2: that was a really interesting one you know I think someone sent it to me but it was like a friend and it's not like a close it wasn't a close friend either they were like I saw this like I think you should definitely do it but it was to be one of the young people, like to go on the programme and learn more. Like, cause at the time I was under 25 and it was like for 18 to 25 year olds. So I think I was like uh, 23, 24 at the time. And I saw, like, I, I was like applying for it to be one of the people to learn about like musical music production, music business, radio production, songwriting and performance. But with my main interest being like radio and music business, um, not that I didn't have an interest in music production, but I knew I didn't want to personally be a producer. I just wanted, like I was more bent on being like a presenter, radio presenter, and having more knowledge in that field to kind of get into it on a like, major scale. And because um, at this time I really like was doing a lot more with my community radio show. And yeah, like it was fun um, to me as well. Yeah, someone sent it to me and I applied. And then um, like someone that was running the program, like the gentleman that was like running the program, said to me like you know what like with your experience i've seen your blog i think your blog's dope i actually think you're a a step above what we're looking for for when it comes to the young people that we'd like to teach on the program i think you're a bit further along would you like to be a part of it and i was like oh my god are you kidding me like well yeah why not he's like it's unpaid but you'll be doing it for like four or five months And, um, you know, we do this, we have this like process where we go through the applications of the young people when we meet at WAC Arts, which is in Belsides Park. So I met him and we kind of went through what the program was going to be about with a couple of other people that were um, around my age, some were a little bit older and some were a bit younger. And we were like the team essentially. But as time went on and as like, we were trying to round up the program, I ended up being like the program facilitator and choosing how to, um, I guess, teach and separate the segments in order for the young people that were doing the program to learn about songwriting and performance and radio and um, music production and just kind of like refining what I would have wanted to learn on the course and what I would have wanted to get out of it. So like speaking to the main head shooters, And kind of being a team leader on it, as opposed to like an assistant, like helping out. So that was like a, that was really random because I didn't start it thinking that that was going to be the case. So that ended up being bigger than, you know, I thought it would ever be. And then that ended with a massive concert in Coco. Um, This was well before its closure for that short period of time. Thank God it's back open. Um, Great venue. And Notes and MO performed there as well, which was sick
1: amazing. Oh my god. So sounds like through that you got a taste of not just one being on the program but then actually giving your expertise back to all of these young people who are aspiring to be in the place that you're, you know, developing and working your way into as well. You mentioned radio a lot and you also mentioned the tech side production um, and engineering and of course you did actually work um, at Metropolis for a short time. Usually we think about you know sound engineering being like quite a male-dominated area and I'm curious to know like coming from quite a strong youth background going into Metropolis what were the differences that you experienced in that kind of working environment to what you had before?
2: Well in the youth sector just in the public sector to be honest when you're working within social care it's very I would say there's probably a bit more women like on the ground anyway than there are men but it might be equal I'm not up to date on the current stats but at the time I'm sure when I was doing youth work it was pretty much more women like maybe like a 60 40 but when it got to like policy and further up it was more men so it was like on my level I'd always been around like a nice fair balance, but when it got into uh, Metropolis, uh, I worked mainly with the mastering engineers at first and then um, with the studio engineers. It was very male-dominated, and so that balance, that change, I should say, not that balance, the opposite, the tilt to lead into more male-dominated, I didn't necessarily feel it at first until there were times where it would be like for example, how can I say it? Breast Cancer Awareness Month or, you know, Women's Month. And then there's like nothing really going on. And I'm like, what do you mean there's nothing going on? Why is there nothing going on? And it's like, well, who's going to lead it? And it was like, oh, me. Like, (laughs) oh yeah. I'm like the only, other than the office manager slash receptionist and uh, a couple of the runners um, who are, um, from ACM and then like one other lady called Natalie who was who is a master in engineer there still there wasn't any other women there yeah there there really wasn't I was like one of one <laughs> like one of I was one of three
1: okay so that must have kind of given alarm bells of like, whoa, what's happening here? Why is it like this? Um, which I imagine fed into your drive of, you know, driving equality across this era of the industry and more broadly across the business. Well, I'm sure there were like tons of learnings from that, but in terms of like more of a technical side and being in the studio and then also in working with artists on the side, would you say um, the that you developed... Your technical knowledge of how a track is put together
2: i I believe I did that at a much younger age like that that came thirteen years before I worked at metropolis yeah, like that came mid mid secondary school because um I had a lot of friends that were very into music growing up as well as myself, and we were very curious and my school was a technology college so we had like very well equipped music studios and just like studios like a music department was a was a huge part of it as well so in our music lessons we'd be able to have like access to um logic fruit loops and all things like that like the early ones (laughs) like you know it's like logic one or something ridiculous um and you can just make something and then in IT you'd have to like make jingles and stuff like that and I chose IT and media as a GCSE and my A level so I did that throughout school so I kind of knew how to construct a track that's hence why I knew I didn't necessarily want to be a producer yeah I didn't really like know that that's kind of what I was doing at the time if that makes sense so then when going into the studio I was already comfortable like it wasn't so many people look at like Abbey Road and Metropolis Studios and they're like wow it's amazing I'm just like I've been in studios for the last 15 years it's not amazing anymore to me like it is (laughs) it is like the history of what's created in there is amazing but as in essentially making the track I've done that millions of times now whether they were they were like awful (laughs) or like charting level it was like I've been doing the process for such a long time In, in my friend's bedrooms when we'd like when sorry not when we when they would get the jailbroken versions naughty naughty and <laughs> and create and stuff and we'd just be playing around and just you know it ends up being something like sick or you think it is at the time then you listen back months after and you're like, oh my gosh it's so bad like yeah no, I think I more got like a, a rein on how important mastering was like I knew from working at Believe prior to that um that it was a very like necessary part, and like the changes, and how much it can enhance the track, and and just being fascinated by the dark art of mastering, but really being able to get into nitty gritty and hosting mastering masterclasses for the industry as a whole, and for young people to come and trying to get in like my youth network that I still stay connected to to really understand the importance of it and how to do it, and just like how expensive it is as well to like maintain it and like to get the necessary bits of bits of equipment and gear like to really get your track sounding as uh, as great as possible because like with everything there's a cheap way to do everything and it's not mm-hmm. always the worst way but it's very rarely the best way so like the landar and like online mastering tools and I mean it just depends where you want your track to go really but if you really are serious about music and you want it to sound the best and you want people at majors and in independents or like great like 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 award-winning management companies to really be taking you as serious as you want them to like take pride in how your music's sounding from beginning to end and at every stage of its creation really so yeah it was really cool to be in there watching um like my favorite engineers and um the others probably won't listen so I won't get told off <laughs> but my favourite engineers um are definitely Stuart Hawks and Matt Colton like and Mike as well like Mike Hilliard is a special guy but um those three like in particular they're just an amazing people and Andy see, starts the list just grows like, and Andy as well hippie like yeah they're just amazing to work with and just the way they take pride in what they do what just made it like even easier to work there for as long as I did, because it was just about two years I was there for, but my role changed a bit whilst I was there. But yeah, like just working amongst them and they do the likes of Kano to um, Amy Winehouse to Stormzy, who released a track uh, yesterday, Uh, (laughs) to just everyone, like any, all your favourite artists probably go to, one of those four guys, like, yeah. So yeah, just being around them. But then it was like, wow, only woman as well. And then I'm there and I'm like, okay, why is there not more women in doing this? And and then like, yeah, but um, they were very supportive of the one female Martian engineer there, Natalie, who uh, has her own clientele and, you know, kills it in her own right as well, so. I think that's important to mention, despite it being um, very male-dominated, they did, there's a lot of mastering houses that probably don't have female mastering engineers, and a lot, I know, I'm aware that a lot of female mastering engineers are like, they work on their own and have their own studios and aren't really part of these things, and I don't know whether that's a personal choice due to experience, or whether that might be That's just what they ended up doing because they weren't necessarily invited into those spaces and given those opportunities.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's all possible, isn't it? It's good to hear that they were conscious of the lack of diversity and that they were championing the female engineers that they did have. Um, Maybe we should get Natalie on the podcast to talk all about her career.
2: Yeah, no, true. And, And they also, like I said, with the masterclasses, Like we made sure that it was very clear that there was more women being invited. Like I made sure that if there was um, someone who said they didn't understand mastering I'd kind of like earmark it and when it would like be time to do another masterclass because we do them every like three to six months and then obviously COVID hit, but we try and do them as frequent as possible Um, and with a different engineer because everyone works differently. Yeah, we just wanted to have that, balance and it to be like no this is we do not want to keep this male only like we do want other like women to know about this and any gender to know about it and it was surprising at times because it would still be 80 percent male but I was always glad that that female percentage of attendees was rising so it's like small wins you kind of take it as it comes so yeah
1: yeah, definitely. It's all about consistency, isn't it? And actually that's like quite a nice segue into talking about your involvement with Power Up, which launched in early 2021. Do you know what? Why don't you give if people are listening and they're not actually familiar with Power Up? It's such an incredible opportunity for black race and black industry professionals in the music industry. You know, what is it? What does it stand for? How can you get involved? Like and what did it do for you?
2: So when Ben Winter, who is now at AIM, um, was at was working for PRS Foundation. Him and the CEO, Joe Franklin, in response to Blackout Tuesday, decided to create a program where 40 Black music creators and executives were supported. So 20 of each were supported via funding through masterclasses and workshops, For a year, so the funding for the first year was ten thousand pounds, and I think the funding has gone up since, and it's fifteen thousand, which is amazing. And you basically get like masterclasses every week, and when I mean every week, I don't mean like oh no, it's like every it's every week. Like you know, some you have to be very flexible and understanding of like that commitment because I think a lot of people don't understand like how much you have to dedicate to it because despite it being a program and something that's offered to help you level up in your career hence the name powering up it it is very much something you have to commit to like it's a program that equally if you just weren't doing anything outside of the program you could let like knowledge wise you'd power up you'd be leveling up each week yeah because you have like our minimum hour long sessions of you know there could be ones about law and like you know understanding your contract understanding jargon like at like the basic level so for and this is for music professionals and the creators so it's like making sure that your legal side is um up to scratch and you're, you're like legal savvy as well and you you know not to walk into a bad deal and um or it could be like something that might be making sure that your splits and your percentages when you're getting your deal memos and things like that are also right and knowing what kill fees are and knowing what um percentages of like ppd and everything like points per like you know like points yeah like it's just it was it's just like there was just so much information like i knew a fair bit of it already but it's like sometimes it was a lot of like gap filled you know because it's a very practical industry so sometimes if you don't have the prior theory or knowledge you may not learn it necessarily on the job or you may learn it on the job but you may know what like ancillaries are and and then like you're thinking okay so I know what that, that is, but like, how can I use them to my advantage? Or, you know, you might know what a JV is, or you might hear these terms, yeah? Like JV and people are like, yeah, like they got a JV. And I'm like, okay, what's a JV? And then they'll explain exactly what it is, but they don't know that JV stands for joint venture. Like they, like just so bits like that, it's, it was really, it's really good for those things as well. And you get mentorships and things with like other key figures in the industry. And it's great that you like, there's even opportunities to choose your mentor as well so they can like support you on those things. And a lot of the ambassadors like um, Beggars Group, Spotify, the Black Music Coalition, which was founded in 2020, like a lot of the stakeholders, ambassadors and sponsors, they also uh, take part in the, the program. So you have sessions with like YouTube music and things like that. So through that, I got to meet like Leo Cohen, as well and like he's the head of you know the global head of music for youtube you meet like really key and big figures in the industry and it's like it bridges that gap so opportunities where you know you might see them in a room and be like oh I have nothing to talk to them about you're in the same room as them and they they encourage those relationships to be built and you know like giving you like I would say individualizing you so it's like yeah there may be 20 music creatives and 20 music professionals, but they know me as Re. They don't know me just as someone from Power Up now. It's like we've got more of a personal relationship. So the Power Up program is is incredible. And I encourage anyone who identifies as Black, who um, is either a music creative or a music uh, professional, doesn't matter how junior, doesn't matter how senior, to apply and yeah you can apply for it to support something that you want to do like if you feel like there's something that you know you might want support on financial support maybe like educational support that you may learn through the workshops and master classes and things like that then yeah it's pretty cool I also got my mental health uh, first aid qualification through them as well um I'm familiar with that having that from a youth work background but being able to have one and and, and the courses is um, tailored to being around music as well and like situations that you only that only arise within the music industry both as an artist and an executive like the yeah the examples they use are amazing so I used my funding um for a master's degree because i just been struggling with like imposter syndrome because of the way I think I entered the industry it was all very much like like it sounds crazy to say because there it's been difficult but it's like it feels like it was too easy yeah because it was it was like you enjoy it and you're just doing what you love and then it's like oh crap I've got a job now and and time, and (laughs) then oh my god I'm in the industry like who knew like I was not doing this last year this is crazy and um so yeah like it just felt all too easy so then there's certain times that yeah I, I'm like oh my god am I am I supposed to be here like oh my god do I know what I'm talking about oh my god like do, do people think I'm a fraud like so um, to combat my um, imposter syndrome I thought I'd back it up with some like on the ground in in the classroom, <laughs> like essay writing styled qualification in the form of a music business management master's in which I just received my certification and I got a distinction in it.
1: Woo, woo, woo. Well done. Absolutely incredible.
2: It was a tough year. But again, without the support of both like Tower Up, like and um, funding it, um, and Richard Antwi, like both of them, like the Richard Antwee Scholarship and Power Up, I was lucky enough to be a recipient of both, and that helped me do it and not um, struggle financially, especially in this cost of living crisis, because Lord knows I don't know how I would have coped if I didn't have those two things, because I would have been like, I've chosen to a master's at the wrong time, but like, oh my gosh, but it worked out really well for me by having the support of Power Up and Richard Antwi Scholarship. Yeah. And I also wanted to do a podcast similar to this, but it was going to be more, I would say, about like a backwards journey sort of thing. Like, so like back in the back into time, like the rewind sort of thing. But I do plan to do that. It's just I hadn't been to university for almost eight years. By the time I'd done like seven to eight years, by the time I started my master's and it was like I was working near enough full time as well alongside doing it so my time was just you know was ridiculous and I just couldn't do something that, that I know would have taken time and a lot of effort and I would have wanted it to sound a certain way and come out a certain way with the amount of time that I had because it was like sleep or do this incredible podcast idea. How old up?
1: Yeah, it's the pillar that kind of makes everything else happen. Okay, so we've got Power Up. We've got the incredible opportunities that that's given you, the people that you've met, the mentors that you've had. It's given you the funding to do the Masters. You were working full time. You're also doing the Masters. So just to be crystal clear, what was your drive to be part of Power Up? What did you personally want to get out of it? So
2: I wanted to get that, like I wanted to take my imposter syndrome away. Like I was like, I'm going to deal with you hands on. Well, I felt like, not having um like the and I've always been like very educational early on I, I loved learning like from you know I, I learned to read when I was like two and um, my sister's nine years older than me and I think at the time where she found books like the most incredible thing that was like when I was two years like around two years old so she was like 10 11 at the time and I was two and she was enjoying reading so she'd read to me and teach me how to do it so I've always been fascinated by like education and always scored really well like at school. Uni, like the first time in uni, not so much. Um like in the last year, but the first two years, yeah, I think I got laxed and just thought, I can't be asked. Like I was just really drained in my last year of uni. But overall I, I still got a two one, but I know I could have got a first if I weren't working full-time and I had actually been attending university that old chestnut yeah <laughs> yeah I was I don't know it got to that you know you get to like 2021 20, I'm like I want money like I need money so like yeah I was just I got this opportunity to work in a bank and I was like yeah okay let's do this and then I went back when I finished my degree I, I went back I went fully back into youth work because I was doing youth work when I was like 16 17 anyway I'd always really worked with young people alongside it, even just like by accident volunteering helping always so So, yeah, I just did it to, like, combat my imposter syndrome because I knew that education gave me a sense of purpose and gave me, like, I think confidence in a way. Like, it's always been... Like, when I know something about something, I'm super confident, and the master's incredible. Like, the reader um, who constructed the programme, Sally Ann Gross, like, she's amazing. Like, she's
1: so full of, yeah, encyclopedic knowledge of the music industry. And, like,
2: it's just insane. And she is, um, she was the first female A&R, I think in the UK, definitely for, for Mercury Records. And like for a major, but I think maybe even in the UK for a major label. And that alone, like, was like, yes. Like, I was like, yes, I'm an a and I'm female. Like, yeah, she's me. She's me just, you know, further down the line. like
1: Yeah, so inspiring and such a great fit.
2: Yeah, so I knew and then I spoke to her. One of one of the leaders, Yao Owusu um, for Power Up, urged me to speak to her and have a conversation about it. Um, like about doing because I initially wanted to do a different course a different music course and then uh, more for like the financial side because it was less a bit less than the funding then I'd have some money to play around with like ads and things for the podcast Um, because I didn't expect to do a master's in the beginning and then when after, after speaking to him I was like okay cool I'm gonna get I'm gonna speak to Sally she arranged a call with me and then we spoke and I just got such a warm, warm energy from her. And I'm a, I'm a vibes person. Like if anyone, anyone who's met me, anyone who knows me.
1: Anyone who's listening to this podcast.
2: <laughs> and if someone isn't the best vibes, I just don't engage too much after the fact. So yeah, like <laughs> if you've noticed me drift away, but me and Sally, she has great vibes. So um, after like that conversation, I was like, okay, looks like I'm going to do a master's. <laughs> and just having the support from, the whole staffing team, from um, the likes of Julia Toppin, who is one of the course assistants, and uh, Jamie, George, Ben, like, yeah, like Hannah Joseph, like, it's incredible. And even if you look at what these people do outside of um, being part of this master's course, they're incredible in their own right. Like Julia is an author, like an advocate for equality for women in music, black women in music as well. And like, she is the biggest drum and bass, <laughs> like, like, like support art, I think I know. And she champions that fully. Yeah, it's DB, she knows about it. So yeah, it's like, it's dope. And Jamie is uh, an incredible producer and um engineer and is dope with like nfts as well incorporating that into his art um george is a, a rapper and uh, has like an author as well like obviously he's, he's great with words and he was one of i must i have to shout him out because returning back to university was so daunting like in itself and he made that process for me getting like my essay writing um to a point where it was distinction worthy do you know what i mean so that alone speaks for itself because having almost 10 years out of education and then returning and like you not knowing what to expect and it's at a higher level than you did previously it's like, oh my God, what have I done? And he made that so much less thought in like the tears and, and like the, the just the mansplaining, the, 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 like the layman's way, like, like really breaking it down to me to where I was at in terms of like, you know, at that level and just making sure that I knew how to put those words on the page in a way that I wanted to express it for people to understand it.
1: What was your dissertation about?
2: So my dissertation was about how the term Black music actually limits the success of Black artists and that the term, yeah, like the term Black music is actually redundant. Like as redundant as they're making a lot of the people that work for Royal Mail right now.
1: Yeah. So alongside doing this master's, yeah. you are also working in the music industry. Yes. So this is a very, very busy time. Um, I'm hearing a lot of, you know, you're building your knowledge you're learning about the industry as a whole um kind of upping your your knowledge in that sense how is that feeding into your day-to-day and if we're talking about your day-to-day specifically you are working at major labels and you also worked indie labels um in the space of a and r because this is now your craft this is your space um so firstly you know give us a little bit of an overview like what does a typical day as an a and look like um because I think specifically with this area of the music industry it's one that is quite famous um and I say that because like a and is like you know it's like oh cool we work in a and but like what is it <laughs> you let our listeners know right what is it like being in a and
2: so um, I'll start with what it is, and then I'll explain what day to day can be like, um, and like the different areas of it as well. So A and R stands for artist and repertoire. So that means it can come anything that includes the artist, and especially on the audio side. But you are very much like the liaison between the record label and the artist. So whether that may be directly to the artist and you're in the studio sessions, that could also be, it It may be that you're out scouting. So that's an A&R scout, you're looking for talent. And um, so you're liaising with the talent and like essentially your purpose is to sign the talent and work on their releases. If you're like in publishing A&R, you're looking more like the talent again, but it's not necessarily, uh, it's an artist, yes, but it could be songwriter, uh producer and you want to or remixer and you want to work with that person to create a certain sound maybe with and alongside a records artist because publishing and records are very like same same vein, same body, different vein. Like yeah. So all part of the same system but from different angles. Um, yeah, like I think a lot of people tend to be surprised when they realize that there's some of their favorite artists don't write their own songs. And that's like, well, yeah, duh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, obviously, do you think they've been this consistently good for 30 years? But then you've got people like Elton John who do. So it's like,
1: yeah. you know, but he doesn't write his lyrics.
2: Yeah, yeah, but this is it. So um like so yeah, so even when it comes down to writing, people people kind of think it's just about lyrics and it this also chords it's also you know the, the production the, the keys the song structure and the top lines and things so it's like the melodies um so yeah there's loads of bits that go into to that and I don't know if people that are out of the industry are aware of that so guys, there's different angles to be an A&R, like if you know a great top liner that can always be very handy for a melodic, like, you know, a melodic track. Like I knew quite great um, top liners. So, and even like within the label that I was working at when I was at Believe, especially, and... When we worked alongside, the, I did a writing camp for the French team with some of the UK team sign-ins, like newer sign and I knew one of the artists was really great at top line, so I thought, yeah, coming to the session, obviously the way French is, the sentences, sentence structures are completely different, so when they say things in their lyrics, it doesn't flow in the same way that ours do, only because of language. So it's like, if they're going to say it like how we say it, it might mean that's two lines of lyrics as opposed to one line. So when you have an English top liner working with a French artist who's used to writing French lyrics, it can often be like, it it was an experience for him because um, he was like, wow, I'd never written lyrics like in this way before because I don't think of melodies in this way because I know that it takes me this long to say this sentence. So I would just say that sentence up there and then, but instead of breaking it into two or maybe splitting it and then having a pause and stuff like that. So that was really interesting. So that's like more going into like AR. I would say it's still like it's AR, but it doesn't necessarily that that kind of session, you could be an AR scout still, you could be an AR coordinator still, you could be an AR manager, you could be a senior A and R manager in order, or even an AR director who may have to do those kind of things. I think mean, that's just like Throughout A um, and R across the board, scouts more so are actively always seeking talent. They don't necessarily always develop the talent. It may be more your managers, coordinators, and managers. And then when it comes to the coordinator level, it's it's a lot more like contracts and things like that. Like it could be like A and R admin and things like that. So anything that the A and R managers and the scouts are doing, like if they're signing, you're making sure that the contracts are okay. So you're working a lot with legal and business affairs teams, the paralegals, just depending on why, like what you will be working with, some of the the collection societies. But the biggest difference I think for a lot of uh people within AR is the company you're working with because each company is structured differently. So when I was working with Indies, they were very like, you know, a day, a typical day in a life would be I'm looking at deal memos. I'm making sure that the splits are correct um, between like whoever's on the track, producer, artist, uh, if there's like an engineer that's on it, if they also want a percentage, I'm making sure that they're getting paid. Um, still following the process like end to end on the audio side and making sure I'm listening to the tracks and make sure there's no issues before submitting it through to supply chain. Or to the the master engineers, um, yeah, like there's that's like you know at that level there's loads of paperwork, I, I, or like at that role in, in that sort of framework in that com- that type of company, there's loads of paperwork. Working that major, there isn't as much there's like teams dedicated to it so each team has their own thing so if you're ad if you're a and hot admin you're only doing contracts you're only speaking to business affairs it's rare that you speak to the artist you may speak to the manager just to get like clarification or the manager of teams just to get a clarification on certain details that will be stipulated within the contracts and things and the producer agreements, engineer agreements, all, like stuff like that, like making sure the title of the song is correct, making sure you've got the right artwork for the the single that you've got to submit, um, making sure the mastering's done. Like the A and R managers don't tend to do that as much in the major label structure um, because they're literally busy with everything else audio size, like they they do more the budgets, the making sure that you're you're on top of the, the recording budget as the project goes on. Um, they liaise with the marketing teams. Like A and admin don't tend to liaise with the marketing teams as such unless there's like a deadline issue, like a like you know, you need to have this done before this time because we need to release this or this is going to sync and things like that. So um yeah A and admin also liaise with the sync teams. Sometimes AMR managers do as well, but um, it may only be off the back of something that the management team on the artist side may have received. So yeah, you're you're like the liaison between the label and the artist and and their team on anything to do on anything that's to do with the artist in relation to their contract with that company.
1: Got it. So it's you've got like differences between roles with A&R scouts, A&R coordinators, which is more kind of well coordinating, organizing, operational. Uh, And then you've got the A&R managers who are kind of a step up from the combination of the A&R scouts and A&R coordinators. So it sounds like because you're so much on the front line, you're really getting fully rounded 360 experience of what it takes to find the artist, sign the artist, work on the marketing campaign to put the release out, put the release out, okay, what do we need for that artwork? What other opportunities can we pull in for this artist to kind of make this have even more impact, which would then be like the sync teams. But then all in the background, you've got all of the legal paperwork, which kind of underpins the (laughs) budgets, literally everything exactly, which I'm guessing actually having then gone and done your masters, that would have filled the gaps for a lot of conversation. So when you're speaking to artists who may have less knowledge than you do in terms of how the industry works and the technical detail, then you can really be adding your value there and showing them like this is the industry i'm showing you the ropes and like i'm your gal if you have any questions whatsoever because it can be like a complicated space to be in and then you've got a lot of pressure as well to be delivering yeah And you know if you've got like an album um agreement then you know how many songs do you need to write by this time what writers are you gonna be working with yeah it's a it's a whole thing isn't it but <laughs> so
2: when like people are on the internet like, a&R is like, I feel with marketing and other areas of the industry, once it's this word, like once it's marketing, it falls within this jurisdiction. Whereas with A&R, there's different like, parts of it. Not that there isn't different parts of marketing, because there clearly is. Th- those essentially are more experience-based. Whereas within the A&R sector, each role is completely different because, like, you're always scouting and signing talent, except for if you're an a and admin, like, you'll do the contracts, but you won't necessarily be signing them yourself. But um, you can do, depending on your relationship with your manager. <laughs> but um, like, that's always an opportunity that's available and open. Um, and they do often ask your opinion. But the different sections of A&R, like, they have completely different duties and they're equally as important as each other. So you kind of can't have, you can't have an A&R manager if you don't have an admin team. Yeah, cause it it doesn't, it, that doesn't work. Like you need, admin is so important for A&Rs. Um, like you need to have all the contract stuff. You need to have that ready. Like you need to be aware of, you know, what your company's obligations are to this, are in relation to this track, product, project, whichever one it is like even if it's a format change what are your duties for this format you know like yeah so it could be vinyl or it could be a cd or it could be streaming only okay like yeah once it gets past this amount of streams does it change does the percentage change does it not does this like you know what i mean so when people get on the internet and they're like keep being keyboard warriors and they're talking about um like it's so irritating like A&Rs are trash A&Rs don't do nothing like who's your A&R it's like I just I, d- I can never really interject because I'm just like you're so ignorant because of how a lot of the people who are well known for being A&Rs have approached the industry or, or like might have like this sort of facade going that you just think every A&Rs like that, and it's like there are so many of us, and the few that are spoken about should never dictate what you think the rest are doing. But it's the internet, so people are gonna chat their chat their rubbish.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> they, they'll say whatever they want to say.
2: Yeah. no facts, just vibes. <laughs> terrible vibes. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Reno's. Yeah, knows yeah. when it's a good vibe.
2: I've got the vibe detector, you know. <laughs>
1: Cool. So, just to like round this off, um you know, you, you've worked with tons of artists. You have also worked with a Grammy-nominated musician, Grammy <laughs>
2: award-winning. You know? Grammy
1: award-winning.
2: They won. it's on Angelique Kidjo's Mother Nature album, which won the Global Music Album for the Grammys this year, 2022. So, yeah, he's Grammy award-winning. That was my first ever in our signing.
1: Yeah, that is a massive, massive accomplishment.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that was a hard, that was a hard deal, but um, we maintained a great relationship, and through him signing like that deal with Believe, we met like other producers and artists. Um, and through that relationship with with Believe, Blue Lab Beats were also on Believe at the time, and they they made tracks together, and through them making tracks together, um, Angelique Kidjo was very interested in working with them, and then. Heard some of the stuff that they were working on with the artist and they were like she was like I want to be part of this like <laughs> yeah so, so like, like how do I get part of this and then it was on the album and then it was one of the main singles and then bish
1: bash bosh it wins a grammy so yeah that was just that was a thing yeah that is pretty awesome um yeah. so out of all of this out of all the music that you've listened to all the artists that you've you know put on Ree's vibes list what is your go-to record? Oh, I think
2: uh it's so hard because there's no one record, but I think one that can always make me happy, no matter if I've had the awful day, no matter if like, and I say this because more like past, no matter if like you know, me and a friend have had a breakdown in our friendship, or like there's been an issue, or you know, like you, ha- you might have a tough day with your boyfriend or whatever, like no matter what, or like, I might have an argument with my mum or my sister, like no matter what, or it just might be a really shitty day outside. I can always listen to Lauren Hill and D'Angelo, nothing even matters.
0: That Ooh, is, yeah, that is course. like my
2: happy song. Like, yeah, and it's because it just relaxes me to the core or anything on the faux EP or first album of Ari Lennox, who signed to Dreamville um, on her Share But A Baby um, album. Like, I love her as an artist. And I just think those two artists have something like, I think it's, this is gonna sound so crazy, like I'm sober, but like crack in their voice. It's just like, I'm addicted to it and it can just always change my mood.
1: And for anyone listening who is an aspiring AR, what one action, just the one action could they take to forward their career in working in the space of AR?
2: It's one thing, but it's gonna sound long, how I explain. It. So documenting the scene, sound, or style of music that you really love. It will never feel like work. It will never feel like you're doing too much. Like, talk about your journey in the most interesting way that you can. So if that means, like, an example, like, and and please, because I feel like if I say this, yeah, there may be, like, loads that i just going to start doing it and then it's, like, going to... Oversaturated and not necessarily seem unique, but something super authentic and unique to you. Obviously, there's platforms like TikTok and stuff like that. And if you can use TikTok or Discord, for example, to connect to the community that, you know, love, also love that sound and really be someone championing it, going to the gigs who's coming up, who you think has super potential and in a really fun, unique way to you yeah but enjoy the journey because if you don't enjoy it we can tell like we can tell that you don't like high seventh gig of like or like two thousandth gig in a row listening to like heavy metal love this great guy great performance, like we're not gonna stay engaged, but if you like, oh my God, like literally discovered like the person who opened for this, like heavy metal artist, blah, 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 it's so dope and blah, 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 like, you know, we can tell when you actually are interested. So that's, you'll be surprised that like, who's watching your stuff because I did not know that the um, A&R director or Virgin at the time, which obviously Virgin is now music services, but when Virgin was a label at the time um, was looking at my blog. I had no idea. And that was like one of the, you know, one of the first things like, yeah. I was like, oh my God, even seriously, so if A&R A and r director, I think I really must have an ear for something. So yeah, you just never know who's watching.
1: That is some really, really very good advice for people. Very good advice. Or I think always be passionate is one thing that kind of really calls out in what you said. Because if if you're not genuinely passionate about something, people can tell. And yeah you know perhaps that means that then this area is not for you so. yeah
2: like I, even after my almost seven years of working in music I have not lost a passion for music and that's also something that's really funny like when you hear the word like I'm passionate about music like on a cv it can sound really like now I feel like it can come across patronizing but it's a it's, it's not it's not a word you need to say to describe yourself it's a it's an attitude it's really a lifestyle because you've got to know that on the worst of days yeah you can still get up and do your job because yeah you know there's this love you can love music like love's not enough for a relationship at times you have to have a friendship too yes. Love's not enough to have to, to work it loving music is not enough to work in the music industry you have to be passionate about it too but it's, yeah, again, not a word, very much an action, very much an attitude, very much a
1: lifestyle. So, yeah. What a beautiful way to finish up. Thank you so much, Re You ball of knowledge and passion and energy. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review the podcast. And if there are any areas of the music industry which we haven't covered and you would like us to, please let us know by sending an email to hello at mellowcompass.uk or sending us a DM on Instagram at mellowcompass.uk. This podcast is produced by Rosie Bennett.